This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. He is Sean Fitz, and we've got game number nine on the Nittany Lions schedule to focus in on our latest episode. We're going to have some help with that, breaking down this Terps team. But, Sean, it's simply put here, Penn State going on the road in a matchup that it has largely dominated in program history. To snap a three-game losing streak, you got to find a way to get it done in College Park. And if you come home and that isn't the case, we got a whole different conversation next week. Well, you think back to last year and you kind of overlooked it. Uh, I think we've already done that this year with uh, with the Illinois game. So um, you're hoping Penn State's not caught off guard by another Maryland attack that's going to try and throw the ball over the, all over the place. Um, last year is, is still fresh in the memories of a lot of people, um, especially in that building. So I'm really interested to see how Penn State bounces back. Obviously, uh, they weren't expecting to go in here on the, the tail end of a three-game or hopefully the tail end of a three-game losing streak. Um, but uh, it's going to be it's going to be a, a gut check because Maryland has been all over the map. Um, the way that they have lost the last few games, uh, they started out 4-0. The way that they've lost the last few games, they've given up a ton of points. Penn State for as efficient as they've been on offense at times, especially had you know we've broken down the difference between with Sean Clifford and without. Penn State hasn't scored a ton of points, so um, be be something's got to give on Saturday. We'll see what uh, we'll see what happens in College Park. A couple of programs that were unbeaten for four weeks. Uh, Maryland hit their three-game losing streak in early stages of October. That started uh, during that three-game losing streak. Sean outscored 151 to 47 by Iowa, Ohio State. In Minnesota, they rebounded with a win against a, an Indiana team that's now two and six. Last week, a, th- a three-point win. They coughed up a, a, a bit of a two, a bit of a lead in that matchup. It got scarier than you thought it might be for Maryland. Um, but uh, by the way, Talia Tangovailoa, and that's probably the last time I'll try to pronounce his entire name this episode, um, is a guy who comes into this matchup and. He's an interesting one. You'll, there's a lot of respect, and we'll talk about this with our with the Maryland beat reporters set to join us. But a lot of respect for for how he's turned that position around for the Terps. It's been a night and day kind of situation for them. What they're capable of at quarterback right now, we saw it in Beaver Stadium last year, and we, you're going to have to prepare for that in College Park this time around for Penn State's defense. But this is a guy who has some peaks and valleys, and it's more of a game to game thing with him than it is a possession by possession situation. Completed 70% of his passes, 17 touchdowns, but he does have those eight interceptions. And that's something he's been prone to during his entire career. And that's something we pointed to last year when he came in there. I think he threw, what, four picks against Minnesota to open the season or something uh, something like that. And then he came into Penn State last year and just kind of lit him up. And that's yeah. uh, that's the big matchup this weekend. Everybody's watching those skill position players on the outside. You got Rakim Jarrett. Uh, Marcus Fleming started to come into his own, a young receiver from down in Florida. Um, they've got talent on the perimeter. They don't have Dante Dimas, who was probably their best receiver coming in. He got hurt and, and is done for the year. But that matchup between uh, Maryland's skill guys on the outside and Penn State's secondary in Tonga Vailoa is, is going to be 
basically the main matchup. I mean, not much of in terms of a running game for either team here. Uh, Maryland's defense is beat up, specifically the linebackers. So Penn State should have the opportunity to move the ball. But you, you think what it comes down to, um, Maryland can can move the ball in the air. Um, Tungavailoa averaging 298 yards per game passing. Um, now, a lot of that they've in the last couple of weeks, especially they've had to throw the ball a lot, but at the same time, they've done so and they've done so successfully. So it'll be on that secondary. We think that secondary is pretty darn good, and and we'll see if they can maybe turn it turn it around as, after getting just absolutely torched last season. Maryland relying upon that arm uh, and the passing attack. Of course, Clifford coming off a matchup where he threw the ball more than 50 times, and you wonder on either side of the ball how much effort will be given to trying to establish a ground game on Saturday afternoon. How quickly do you just say, let the quarterback throw it, let's get the ball, the playmakers through the passing attack? Uh, it's a question that both these programs face, but here, here in Happy Valley, a conversation uh, throughout the season, Sean, has been, why isn't it happening for this ground game? Uh, the running backs, the offensive line, the tight ends, the coaching staff, everybody's under that microscope, and that microscope has zoomed in a little bit more with each passing week. And Jaywan Sider, of course, someone that's great to talk to in this circumstance, not an easy conversation for him, but we got him on Thursday morning, Sean. And Sider is not just the running backs coach here in year four with Penn State, but he's also got that title of run game coordinator. And he didn't sugarcoat it. There's a lot of frustration right now. And Quite frankly, according to him, a lot of surprise. Uh, not something that they envisioned uh, coming into this, uh, coming into the season. And now through eight games, it's getting to the stage where can you flip that switch? Is there room for a pivot? Um, and you're running out of time here with the schedule getting brutal. Well, he can join the list of people that didn't expect it. I mean, Cider was was pretty candid. Um, I don't know that there were any out and out and out answers, um, but his his big thing that you're going to take away from this, at least, you know, on the Twitter waves and things like that, is is, is he's saying that if, if they have a healthy Sean Clifford, they're not having this conversation. But at the same time, when they had a healthy Sean Clifford, they also did, still didn't have a run game. So you know, you could you could split his uh, split his uh, his commentary and kind of say, okay, that's true. But at the same time as a running backs coach, how are you going to explain away the running back, uh, the running back woes? And that's really um, what you can take out of that conversation. Um, you know, as always, he's very candid, very brash, um, but uh, didn't seem to have the, the answers as far as what uh, just what has happened in that run game. You'll find a full review of the commentary from Cider up on lines247.com. You'll also find a full video if you want to check that out with Cider, who we got, I think, last time right after week one against Wisconsin. So a lot has happened since then. And uh, obviously a focal point here has been the lack of explosive plays. Um, it was something that was brought up during the conversation, along with a lack of yards after contact, because uh, you're seeing a lot of these max runs from week to week peak at 12, 13 yards from this position have not been the explosive plays. I think Mark sent us the, the note that only three of Penn State's 30 plus yard plays this season have been from that running back group. And uh, to your point and, and, and kind of counterintuitive to, to what Sider said, yes, a healthy Clifford, you get to seven and one. I think we've probably at least seven or no. We've talked about that here on the show a few times, but also with a limited Clifford or without Clifford, if you have a running game, running back game or a ground game, I should say that involves running backs being productive, you can kind of, you know, use that as a bit of a safety net. And I think that maybe doesn't save you at Iowa, but it probably gets you through pretty well intact against Illinois. And in this three game losing streak, it's just brutal, Sean. You got 63 combined carries for four different running backs. The bulk of that work going to Noah Kane, John Lovett, and Kevon Lee, of course. 176 total yards, one touchdown on those 63 carries. That is a collective 2.8 average during the three consecutive losses. 
Yeah, don't know what to say on that one. Um, and, and I agree. Like you, you think about Penn State's run game, even when they've struggled, they've been able to hit the home run from time to time. And you just don't see that with these backs. And that's really what's what's concerning here. Um, you know, Lovett, you thought might be able to be that guy. And he's actually got the shortest long run of of any of those guys with an 18 yarder. Um, yeah, it's it, it's tough to watch. I, I will disagree with your Iowa opinion if they have a running game. You know, that that's the thing. Iowa kept coming back because they had the time to do so. If you have a running game and you get a couple first downs, you run out of time. So, I mean, that's, that's really the argument there, but it's, uh, it, it's been, I just think they had watch, trouble really. snapping the ball. They had so much trouble snapping the ball. It's just, I, I have a hard time giving them any benefit of the doubt on, on generating much, but I, I think you're right. I mean, you got, you just got to string some possessions together and keep, keep your defense off the field a bit and you probably survive. You squeak it out. Right. And you don't jump offside eight times. So, yeah. you know, that, that, that'll help too. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, that, the, the criticism of the run game is completely fair. And it's uh, it's something that, you know, you can add it to the list of things that have kind of tanked the season. Obviously, Clifford's injury right there at the top. Mustafer's injury is up there too. But the lack of a run game is is not something that just popped up one week. It's It's been week to week, and it's been really frustrating to watch. I haven't had a chance to, to double-check these stats, but they're not stats that I think J1 Sutter would just throw out there for the fun of it because they're not fun numbers. He told us during this call that Penn State has produced uh, explosive plays on the ground. They consider that 12-plus yards on, on a run play. Only 10 times this season is the number he gave us. He says they've done that in single games in the past with this offensive backfield, and I just kind of walked away after hearing him say that that was some serious candidness, and that is just a major uh, wet wet water to the face if, if you were on board with this running back room going into the season. And I think you and I were both thinking it was going to be a strong season for a few of these guys. It's it's a far cry from the Cotton Bowl a couple of years ago. That probably is one of those games where they had those those big gains, but and, and it's and it's not really a situation where you just find a, a you know a defense like Memphis that you know was was pretty leaky and not at their best in terms of personnel um but uh yeah you play that week to week to week and you know it's nice to get going against Villanova and you got something going against Indiana um but just every week week in and week out when you can't get five yards to put yourself in second and five is I mean let alone getting the 15 we're talking we're sitting here talking about getting the the 15 to 20 yard run or the home run you're not getting six yards on first down that's that's really where it's going to needle you the most and now we did hear from Slider saying he felt like they ha- were, were more effective in short yardage situations. You know, third down conversion rate it can be attributed, and certainly in some part to that. Noah Kane had had some had a pickup early in the game that was very important. They had the, a touchdown run, but I think ultimately it's it's it still doesn't make you feel any better. You had John Lovett, thirteen carries that led the team twenty yards out of that, and James Franklin mentioned it quite a bit uh, midweek here. Physicality was improved. He felt like in the trenches that was apparent on both sides of the ball, and he said offensively the offensive line the tight ends he felt like the physicality was there in a way it had not been against ohio state still you look at the numbers and and it's very difficult for people to reconcile with that and certainly if they don't go out there early against maryland and and have some kind of carryover that does validate this you know the the claim that penn state took that step forward then it's going to look you know egg on the face i guess uh, in terms of the coaching staff if they come out and it's more of the same here against a terps team that you should be able to push around you look at how it's gone for them against teams with with talent on the offensive side of the football and and some presence on the offensive front it's gone very poorly for them so penn state is in a situation here where you want to add to that and if you can't then once again you wonder what has gone so wrong for them on the ground 
Yeah. And I apologize for my dog. Uh, I've been here most of the day and no one has been here. And then twice in 10 minutes as we're recording, um, somebody's been at my door. So hopefully everything's okay outside. My dog will continue to watch. So I apologize for that. That's very unprofessional of, of me and my dog. Um, uh, hopefully he's all right. But yes, uh, getting back to the running game conversation, seven and a half yards per carry against that Memphis team in, in the Cotton Bowl, five mm-hmm. rushing touchdowns. That's a long fall for this this team that's uh, you know averaging as bad as they have in in years on that running game. In that Cotton Bowl game, Noah Kane set a Penn State freshman record for rushing touchdowns in a single season. Uh, of course, was looking like on his way to a, a very strong Penn State career. The opportunities have been here in year number three for Kane coming off the injury, but not able to do much with them. Uh, he, it may surprise you at this point, but he still has uh, more than 30 carries than anybody else in this backfield. 35 more rush attempts than Kevon Lee through these first eight games, but that averages at 3.1. It's under three. Take out that first game and some success there. Um, and and it was it's hard to hear Cider talk about this. And I know not a lot of sympathy right now because people want uh, pr- progress and, and they want production on the ground. But Cider has known this young man for a very long time. He wouldn't be here in State College. Probably see that for a lot of the running backs without Cider. And everything we heard all offseason was how excited both Kane and Cider were that he was going to get this second chance to be the starter for this team after it went so uh, poorly in, in the first series last year. And he's had the chances, and he just hasn't generated it. And, and just like you, you, we've been talking about here, Slater is just wondering, where is that Noah Kane that, that can squeeze out and maximize every carry, fall forward, lunge forward? They want to see him turn that corner. I don't think anything would make him smile more ear to ear than seeing Kane finish the season strong. But we're now eight games into this, and and you kind of got to stop holding your breath at some point until you see some proof and, and some tangible results and just not happening right now. He, he's gotten every opportunity to do so, and unfortunately, he's just not the same back as he used to be. And that's, uh, you know, I, I think it's probably attributed to injury, but you just don't see that same um, fall forward mentality, tough runner. I mean, he's he's coming off his feet. I don't want to say it easy because I'm sure I would fall down with some of those hits as, or most of those hits as well. Um, but it's uh, or all of those hits, I all guess I could say. Hits, yeah. um, but yeah, he's going down way too easy for for a Big Ten running back, especially a guy that we've seen be a tough runner at, at points in their career. And the, the point here he made on Kevon Lee, who has kind of been the next guy, that there's been moments in the season, Sean, where you think this is that window for Kevon Lee to take the ball and run with it and, and be the lead back, and it just hasn't happened for him. There's been some points where he's been sidelined for whatever reason. There's been some ball security issues earlier in the year. Right now, I think the biggest critique continues to be from Jaywan Sider is about him running a little bit more pissed off and, and, and staying vertical as a runner because that is his wheelhouse, and yet we just haven't seen that with consistency at any point here in your number two for Kevon Lee. And again, I, I guess if I was a betting man and I was to pick one running back to, to have a big November and, 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 and give you somebody to feel really good about going into the offseason, he'd probably be the pick just because the physical tools are all still right there. And I don't know where the physical tools are for everybody else in this backfield right now. Um, but the opportunities to, are starting to dwindle. And we've already talked about just how much the complexion of this backfield changes in a couple of months. So I think Kevon Lee, uh, you know, much like Noah Kane, but to a lesser extent, the touches have been there. The production has not. Um, but I feel like you come out of every game and, and you and you scratch your head and say, I only touched the ball six, seven times. It seems like there needs to be more involvement there. And you wonder why there has not been. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to draw a hot hand when nobody gets hot. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's really what's come down to with Lee. And then when he has gotten going, 
there's been, you know, he's put the ball on the turf and you just can't do that. Absolutely. So I, I don't know. I don't know if there's an answer there. I agree with you that the physical tools seem to be there, but the consistency has not. Um, you can say that about John Lovett at times this year. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, uh, it's really tough to say, but like, you know, you can't, you can't roll with somebody if, if somebody's not willing or if you're not, somebody hasn't stepped up and, and shown that they're being, you know, uh, head and shoulders above everyone else. Cause nobody has, has stepped up and taken that. Availability has been an issue for John Lovett during his first season here. He's down to four or five games left in his college career uh, with one year of eligibility coming in as a transfer. Devin Ford clearly kind of locked in as that that fourth option right now. If he's available, he was a practice participant when we saw him. And then I just want to address Kaziah Holmes real quick because this is a guy who we have both been asked about at different points during the season. And uh, certainly sounds like nothing has changed on that end. Jaywan Sider content. Well, I wouldn't say content is the right word, but Jaywan Sider uh, sticking with the plan that he's in a developmental situation. We have seen Kaziah Holmes working as a scout team player this year has not been taking those varsity reps with the other four scholarship running backs that we've mentioned. Um, and I think that will continue into November. And at this point, he has the two games that he played in uh, against Ball State and Villanova, I believe has not shown up on the field against big 10 opponents. And a guy that because of how things played out in the depth chart ahead of him last year, got a lot more volume of work as a true freshman than anyone anticipated. And here in year two, it's a role reversal. He's been tucked away on the practice field. And I think Sider has challenged him in a few different ways. Very curious to see how he enters the winter because he's somebody that came to campus a couple of years ago, I think with a really interesting arsenal and skill set athletically. And he thought maybe there's a couple of things he could do for you on offense to this point. Still a lot of questions about Kazai Holmes. Yeah, for for those looking for a big uh, big play threat, I mean, he's your fastest guy back there. Um, so you know, I, I'm surprised he hasn't got more of a look. But you see, he's played in two games this year. He has that red shirt available, so seems like that's part of the plan. And he's got to trust that process. To to me, you know, that's that's tough to to learn on the job and then have to take a back seat, especially at that position in college football with the you know with the portal being right there. That's a tough thing to do. So he's got to either have an awful lot of tr or either have a plan after the season or have an awful lot of trust in Jay Wan Sider um, because you know that's something that those guys have talked about. But uh, to, to not be able to crack this rotation and get a shot says that there's a plan in place and, and he's got to stick to it. Sider started recruiting Kaziah Holmes all the way back his freshman year of high school when Sider was on the Florida Gators staff. So a lot of history between those two. Uh, Sean, I think it's time to, to jump into – oh, really quick before they do that, Taquan Roberson was at practice. We, we got eyeballs on him on like midweek last week. Um, he was out there, and and it's hard to deduce everything from a 15- to 18-minute sample size, but certainly seemed that along with Sean Clifford, besides Sean Clifford, Taquan Roberson was getting the most work at quarterback, and that was a conversation we had earlier this week, the future of the quarterback room. But in this week, we said, who's the QB2? Based on what we saw, I'd lean Taquan Roberson. We'll see how that plays out in pregame warmups. And if you're a Penn State fan, you hope you don't have to find out at all over the course of this game at College Park. That's that's really the key, isn't it? Just to, <laughs> yeah. to, to make sure those guys stay on the sidelines. So we will see on Saturday, and hopefully we won't see on Saturday. Yeah, well, we are going to get a chance now to, to focus on Maryland. Uh, let's turn our attention over to our next guest here in the Lions 24-7 podcast. All right, let's jump into the conversation about these Terps because Penn State hitting the road once again, trip to College Park on on Saturday, 3.30 kickoff. And Emily Giambalvo of the Washington Post covers Maryland athletics, does a great job covering this program that Penn State's about to see. And she's going to give us the lowdown right now. Emily, thank you so much for joining us on another Big Ten game week. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, we'll we have a lot to talk about, uh, different players, different storylines, but overall right now, 
five and three Penn State, five and three Maryland. But those records are really weighed down by a rough October. Can you talk a little bit about the month that Maryland is coming out of? Yeah, I mean, Maryland started really well with the 4-0 start, and there was a little bit of conversation of would they kind of crack the top 25. They hadn't really played anybody yet. Their first Big Ten win was um, Illinois, and um, there were still a lot of questions. And then what happened was there was just a, a pretty hard stretch with Iowa, Ohio State, and Minnesota. And And I think when you kind of look at Maryland and Penn State, you know, they have the same record, but you can just go straight to kind of those games against the the top opponents. And, and at least Penn State's competitive and, and Maryland just absolutely wasn't. And I think that was the most worrying part of the losing streak. But, you know, they finally ended that with Indiana. And, and I was thinking about this with Penn State. And it seems like Maryland kind of gives Penn State that same opportunity, maybe a lower tier Big Ten team and helps them kind of get back on track. Emily, what's it going to take for them to get back on track? Because the running game, you know, as we see at Penn State, is not really getting it done. Um, but that passing game has been very hot and cold. Of course, uh, Tonga Vailoa, that's kind of been the, the story of his career so far. So where's that passing game and, you know, how much are they going to lean on that this weekend? Yeah, I mean, Maryland's very much kind of a pass-first type offense. They they have Teon Fleet Davis as a running back, but he hasn't had any huge games so far. It almost reminds me a little bit of Penn State, um, just how, how the offense – works and um you know it's hard because early on he was really relying on particularly Dante Dimas who who I think is probably one of the best receivers in the Big Ten um then he gets hurt Sean Jones gets hurt and now suddenly you're looking at a receivers room that doesn't have as much depth maybe there's more attention being paid to Rakim Jarrett who who's another kind of young talented receiver um but you know I I think for Maryland Really, if they can almost like if they can start fast, they they really put an emphasis on starting baskets in Indiana, trying to kind of go out with tempo and and score early, and they did, and then they kind of went into a lull for a little bit. But I think that could be the same recipe against Penn State. Um, and then I also wonder, I mean, not not to get too like meta about it, but just thinking like, you know, for Maryland, a win here would would mean a ton. You know, it would be bowl eligibility and and beating uh, one of these top Big Ten teams. And then I kind of wonder, like, I you know, I don't know much about where Penn State is, but but you kind of wonder if maybe, like, for Maryland, this would be such a big win. And, and if Penn State doesn't come out, you know, um, totally on it, then then maybe there's a scenario where Maryland could could upset them. But But I still think that would be pretty hard. How much uh, is there kind of just waiting for the other shoe to drop, though, among the Maryland fans when there's a game like this, a setup like this, where it feels like this could be kind of a launching pad could get the program to that next step and then they fall flat? I mean, case in point, the 59 nothing result on a Friday night a couple of years ago. Is that something that this program still needs to overcome too? kind of getting in its own way in key moments? Yeah, for sure. And and that Penn State moment from two years ago is kind of like the epitome of what happens to this program. You know, anytime there there's a little bit of excitement, people start to almost dream way too big, thinking that Maryland might be able to take down one of these top teams. And we saw the exact same thing with Iowa this year, because that was Maryland's 4-0, and then they play a, a pretty good Iowa team, at least back when Iowa was you know, undefeated and doing well. Um, and then that, I mean, that was just a complete disaster. So um, yeah, I mean, if you, if you look at it, Maryland has only been three ranked teams in the last decade. Um, and I mean, that's really all you need to know. Like these things usually don't go well for Maryland. Um, and, and that, 
I mean, I, I still think the first step is being competitive. Like, I, I don't think we've seen that yet. I think Maryland first needs to show it can be competitive against these top 10 or top teams. And then, and then after that, maybe you can start having the conversation about trying to win some of them. Emily, a multi-part question with the passing game. The Demas injury seemed to change just basically everything, but you still got Rakim Jarrett. Um, a guy that I like, Marcus Fleming, has really seemed to be coming into his own the last couple of weeks. So, um, you know, what kind of threats on the outside is, is Maryland going to bring, and how much do they miss Demas just week in, week out? Yeah, I mean, I think the loss of Demas really hurt, and it kind of coincided with when the schedule was getting – harder and and you kind of wonder how much of it is causation there but um but I do think kind of Talia and Demas had had a really good connection going and and they had kind of been there you know Demas had been his favorite target for a couple of years now both last year and this year and um and 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 what I think that really helped with because then you're getting Demas and Rakim Jarrett and maybe Jay Sean Jones or, or the other talented receiver on the field together and then that just makes the matchup so much better whereas now Rakim is is such the clear best target that that I think his life has has become a lot harder maybe getting the better matchup and um and he just hasn't been super consistent um but I kind of wonder if this could be a big game for him he he was the one who was really great against Penn State last year um and then, and then you're seeing, like you said, kind of these unproven players like Carlos Carrier, Marcus Fleming, who have stepped up big time. And, and Brian Cobbs is the other guy who Loxley mentioned this week as someone who they could be looking for to have one of those breakout games. But but I think, I mean, really, the loss of Demas is just a big, big loss of talent and, and ability um, and just like a comfort level with Talia. I think Talia felt really comfortable knowing if he, you know, threw a 50-50 ball, Demas was probably going to be able to get it. So um, it, it's hurt a lot, but but you haven't really seen Maryland stray from kind of that pass-first offense, and I think that's just who they are and, and who they need to be. There's been so many years where Maryland just – didn't have a quarterback capable of driving them down the field, sparking big plays, keeping them in a matchup where the other offense was going to put up 25-plus points in a matchup. They have that guy right now, it seems, and we saw him put up some fireworks in Beaver Stadium, but it has been, as Sean referenced, a bit of a roller coaster ride for Talia. When your brother did what he does, expectations are going to be at a different level, and that's not fair, but that's what it is. How is he kind of perceived right now among the Maryland fan bases? And 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 really how much better overall has he been than than his predecessors at that position, despite some of these up and down moments? Yeah, no, the I, I did a story last year and kind of the Maryland quarterback history, and, and it's like even worse than you could imagine. I mean, the number of season ending injuries and ACLs and instability and transfers and people who you know, come in at a different position and get thrown into playing quarterback um, because of injuries. It's like, I don't know if any other school could compete with what Maryland has dealt with in the quarterback's room. Um, and and kind of Talia coming in and stabilizing that, you know, like knock on wood on the injury piece, but like he's been, he's been kind of that steady force. And I think people see that and appreciate that. And, and having the brother is, is a big weight, but I think it also gives people this sense of hope um, it, it is kind of funny because it seems like Maryland just tries to do like almost like the knockoff version of like Alabama or the top te- uh, like top teams. You know, they're like they're trying to to be that. Um, they can't quite get the real thing, but they're you know getting the pieces that sound similar and feel similar. Um, but but I think without a doubt, Tully is the best quarterback they've had um, in a decade. I mean, he's on pace to break some records still. Um, 
the big thing for him is just consistency and, and kind of figuring out how to do it each week and against the top defenses. And, and with him, um, you know, if you, if you watched him play against some of these better opponents the last couple of years, he, his issue is like he rarely makes one major mistake. It's usually zero or three to five. Um, so he's had some of these experiences where throws an interception, other team scores, gets the ball back, throws another interception two plays later, and it just kind of snowballs. And, and then by the time you even regroup, you're down 21 points or whatever it may be. So that's that's the thing he still has a long way to go on. But but when he's on, he's on, and, and he, he looks pretty good. Yeah, that's not an ideal situation to be zero, all or nothing, basically. Uh, speaking of all or nothing, Maryland's defense, since uh, since that 4-0 start, they gave up 51 to Iowa, which we know not a very good offensive team, uh, at least you know, knowing what we know now. Uh, 66 to Ohio State, 34 to Minnesota, 35 last week to Indiana in a win. Um, where's that Maryland defense at right now? And is this going to be a, a, a case where if they're going to win, it's going to have to be a shootout? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the defense has been pretty iffy in these last few games. And um, I will say the, the Iowa piece, a lot of those were drives starting from like the 15 yard line. It's not like the offense had too far to go because we were getting those Talia interceptions on the first play of the drive type situation. Um, and then against Ohio State, Maryland had a bunch of defensive backs out with injuries. And, and that's just kind of a recipe for disaster against um those receivers and um, it's been, it's been rough so far. I will say, I think the secondary is getting healthier and they're, they feel a little bit better about the guys they are going to be able to put out there as opposed to um, a few weeks ago when they're really, you know, going so far down the depth chart. Um, I, the, the main concern I think, I mean, in some of these last two games has been the the rush defense, which maybe I, I think, the matchup could be somewhat favorable to Maryland. Like maybe they're, they've been pretty good at affecting quarterbacks. The secondary I'd say is better than the rush defense. And, and maybe that helps them against Penn state. Um, I still think just kind of like Maryland has talented players, but across the board, the talent level, I don't think is quite there to be able to compete with the Penn states, Ohio states of the world. But, um, but yeah, the, the defense has struggled lately. Hasn't really been able to get stops and, and it does put the offense in a scenario where they kind of have to, try to win in a shootout um, because of how the defense has struggled. Well, if the defense were to make a splash play or two, instead of having to sustain 60 minutes of solid mm -hmm. football, one of those moments that could turn the play, uh, turn the game, who are the guys who can make that kind of play for this defense? Yeah, I think um, Sam O, we always just call him Sam O, Okuanu um, is his last name. He, he's he been really good at kind of getting to the quarterback Um and, and disrupting things back there. I, I, I'm not quite sure where Sean Clifford is in terms of health and everything, but I could see there being a world where some guys like that up front are able to kind of disrupt Sean Clifford. Um, and then I think when you look at the back end, I, I, I feel like I remember Nick Cross having an interception against Penn State last year. He's a guy who can kind of have one of those big game-changing moments. Um, and maybe Ja'Korian Bennett is another cornerback who – is has had, had a good year has been one of the best defenders so um but I, I think you're right to kind of think that I, I feel like for Maryland to have a chance you know it's like Talia needs to almost entirely avoid those major issues and then maybe the defense gets one or two um I don't see Maryland really having a solid path to winning if they're playing from down like 21-7 or so but I but I could see them having a path if they're able to kind of you know, score quick and then maybe make big defensive play. And then suddenly you have Penn State that's 
trying to catch up. Um, I, I do think that'd kind of be the recipe. And I think, um, you know, a couple big defensive plays could, could help turn the table. Emily, where's this program now in comparison to preseason expectations, overall expectations with the program? Because you look at this run and, and the 4-0 start is fantastic. Five wins at Maryland, you know, used to be or has been a pretty decent season. Um, but now you've got uh, Penn State this week, Michigan State next week, Michigan the following week. Things not getting any easier. I mean, you'd argue Penn State might be the uh, is the is the easy one in that group. Um, so where is this program right now? I thought you made an interesting point about depth. Um, a little bit ago, this is this doesn't seem like a team that's built for November. It seems like a team that you know is probably given the talent they have up front, best in the early part of the season. So where is that? Where are they overall right now? Yeah, no, and that's a good point about depth. Like I, I feel, I feel pretty confident in Maryland's like starting offensive line, defensive lines. But when you start getting into the third, fourth quarter, I, I do think the gap gets huge um, between some of these top programs in Maryland. But um, yeah, I mean, it's hard because it's like if, if you asked me. Um, before the season, I would say, you know, if you can get to six and six, go to a bowl game, like that's that's a big tangible step forward for Maryland. Um, if you had asked the fan base after the 4-0 start, you would have heard people starting to talk about, of course, there's going to be a bowl game. Maybe they even get to eight, nine wins. And, and of course, I, I'm way too rational to kind of see in the mind of fans because I, I I never thought that was a, a opportunity. Um, so, so I still think six wins is a good benchmark, but it's, it's going to be really hard because it seems like playing in the Big Ten East when you're not one of those top teams, you know, all you do is play these other good teams. And with Michigan State having a good year, now you've got, you know, it seems like every weekend you've got one of these good teams and then they had to play Iowa in the West. So it's just the schedule makes this job, I think, really hard. Um, I do think kind of each year Loxley has been here, there has been a step forward. I, I just think they maybe haven't been – as big or, or as quick as people would have liked. I think next year might be kind of the big year of, of you know, what what progress is shown. Um, but I think for now, kind of, you know, the quality of player has improved a lot. You have a quarterback who, you know, would probably be back next year. And, you know, I think things are trending in the right direction. Um, some of these recruits Laxley has on the defensive end are going to be developing and starting to play more next year. Um, but I think kind of in the short term, trying to get that sixth win would be is, is the big step. And then maybe if you if you can upset somehow one of these teams, that's um, an even bigger step. Emily, we'll get you out of here on this one. You've talked us through a few scenarios of, of what could be great for Maryland and what could be a pitfall for this team on Saturday. Where do you see it landing uh, when action takes place Saturday afternoon? And if you're comfortable, uh, can you give us a score prediction for this outcome? Yeah, Um you know, kind of going back to what I was saying before, like, if I think, you know, I, I, I just pulled up all the data and I was like, from 2011, I think Maryland is three and 33 against ranked teams. So, and, and I know maybe if you're going off a CFP, Penn State ranked or not, but, but they're still, they're still in that top 20, top 30 realm. Um, so I just don't, I think you just have to go on that until Maryland proves otherwise. I, I don't think you should assume they can beat, uh, one of these top teams. So um, I think I think Penn State wins. I think Penn State maybe forces the offense into some mistakes. And um, I don't think it's going to be one of those 59-0 blowouts. But I also said that before the Iowa game because I, you know, I thought this program was better. I kept reassuring people. I was like, you know, I don't think they're going to win, but but I think it'll be better than before. And I kept using that Penn State game as the example, and it turned into more of the same. Um, but, but I think Maryland's a little better this year. Um, I think they had the confidence from beating Penn State last year. I think that is a big 
mental thing for this program. Um, so I'd say maybe, I, I don't, I don't know the score, maybe like 28 to 17 or something Penn State wins. I, I think it'll be within a couple scores, um, but not necessarily super close. Sounds like you're having a hard time figuring out what Maryland team you're going to see on Saturday. I can tell you with confidence, we feel the same way about this Nittany Lions squad. We'll, we'll see who shows up on both sides, and we appreciate the insight leading up to it. Uh, she is Emily uh, G.M. Balvo, and she covers the Maryland athletics, including these Terps, for the Washington Post. Have a great day, and, and enjoy the game on Saturday. Yeah, thanks for having me. Big thanks to Emily. Uh, some fun there tracking down the conversation. It's all over the place with Maryland football. I mean, year to year, there's so many like moments where you hear, oh my gosh, they're turning the corner and then the bottom falls out. Kind of the same thing happened this year, but let's face it, if they get a second consecutive win against Penn State, it doesn't really matter what happened the previous eight games or, or what happened in October for them. It's going to be a huge boost and you're going to send the Nittany Lions back limping in a big way to Happy Valley. And you look, you look at what they have for the rest of their schedule. We mentioned it with Emily. You got Michigan State, Michigan, and Rutgers. And Rutgers is a team that you know could beat beat Maryland and, and keep them. You know, if Penn State wins this weekend, can keep them from playing in a bowl game. So, it'd be really interesting to see how they handle the rest of the, of the year. Um, they can they can put up some points. I'm not sure that they can stop anybody. And you hope for Penn State and their their offense that has needed um, some space this year. You're, from from that angle, you you hope that they can really uh, continue that run of, of schools or of programs putting up big points against the Terps. Well, Penn State has put up a ton of points against the Terps and a ton of wins against Maryland. Before last year, this was just absolute dominance uh, for the most part. Of course, uh, the game that started with the no handshake was a loss for Penn State. feels like a while ago. That actually was brought up uh, during some calls this week. But 43-1 and all-time Penn State against Maryland. And yet you go into this matchup looking to rebound from a loss at 35-19 score last year. I had to double check that, Sean. Did not feel that close at all in Beaver Stadium because that was one that the Terps ran away with early. Clifford was able to generate some, some yards, some numbers late in that contest. But they took him to the woodshed here in Happy Valley, and it was hard to fathom at that time. Looking to return the favor. I know this is a motivated Penn State team, but there should be there should not be motivation lacking on either side despite three losses. What do you think about – Penn State, Maryland, this version, it, it, can it happen again? Does Maryland have the ability here to knock off Penn State back-to-back -back years? And, and could you imagine what that might mean for this program? I mean, you would think no, but Penn State lost to Illinois two weeks ago. And that's the thing, that's right? A, that's the thing. kind of a different scenario in terms of the quarterback playing in there. But uh, it's uh, it's certainly possible. I mean, Clifford last year, 27 to 57, three touchdowns, but he did have the two interceptions. And I think the the strip sack that was the touchdown that was kind of the backbreaker there. They Penn State scored two touchdowns in the fourth quarter, so that was one of those games where you know it was a two, it was a what 35 19, uh, 16 point game it was not that close. So, you know, Maryland's got some talent. We say this same thing about Maryland every year. They've got a bunch of talent in spaces and Emily kind of, uh, of responded with the same thing is they've got talent in spaces. I don't know that they have the depth to come together um, to, to play with some of the bigger, you know, the bigger programs in the big 10. So uh, absolutely it can happen again. You can't walk into college park expecting to, to, to roll over them. Now, Emily kind of, felt the same way that Penn state should win this game based on talent depth and, and a lot of things going for them. But yeah, I don't think there's any way that you can look at what happened two weeks ago and what happened a year ago in, in Beaver stadium and think that Maryland's not capable of pulling an upset. 
Yeah, this was a matchup that was just you know, a lot of fireworks for Penn State. Then they would get it, get the backups involved late, and it was always a feel-good way toward the end of the season. feels a lot different right now because Penn State needs to stop the bleeding. They, they certainly put themselves on a different trajectory despite the loss against Ohio State. It feels like they stopped the free fall. Now they have a chance to take that step forward here on the road and, and, and start off what for them is a challenging November with Michigan and Michigan State still ahead. So, Sean, when we look at Penn State in this, in this perspective, which we just spent so much time from Maryland's standpoint, I mean, it, the conversation is going to start with Sean Clifford. And to me, um, really the best way to go out and win this game is, is the way that they've had their offensive success. Let Clifford do the heavy lifting. If he's, if he's got to throw 400 yards to get away with the win, that's okay. I, I'm just not putting any stock in saying you've got to invest in your run game here. If it's going to happen, great. If it clicks, that's awesome. But I think you go into this game and trying to get the ball downfield, trying to produce explosive plays because you look at how Maryland has fared. They are very susceptible, I think. And, and Penn State has the weaponry. Parker Washington, Keandre Lambert-Smith, Jahan Dotson, starting points there. And if Sean Clifford is as healthy as he was against Ohio State, and you think maybe taking a step forward, we'll see after four sacks and some hits. It could be one of those big-time passing performances, and then you just got to hope the defense makes a few plays. And Because, let's face it, this could devolve into some kind of Tongo Vailoa clifford battle. I, I would not be surprised at all. And then you're waiting to see who, who's the first guy to throw two or three interceptions. They might play a four-hour game, too, because I think there's going to be a lot of passes. Yep. I, I think it's two, two programs that – haven't abandoned the run, but they know where their bread and butter is on offense, and that's throwing the football. Like uh, you know, Tonga Bailoa was throwing it all over the place last year. Clifford threw as over fifty times last year. Um, so I think that's probably what you're going to go to. That uh, as I said in the open, the big matchup that you're watching here is is Maryland's receivers and their skill players on the outside against Penn State secondary, which Penn State secondary last year pretty well toasted in that game, but you feel a lot better about the way that they're playing um, those four guys and, and Daquan Hardy as well. You feel a lot better about being in the right spots and maybe, you know, coming down with a turnover or something like that, eight interceptions for Tunga Vailoa so far this season. So you could see that continuing to go. Maryland's banged up. Um, they're banged up in the secondary and they've given up a lot of big plays, especially through conference play um, in that, in that losing streak. So you, do get a shot to go with Dotson. Uh, you do get a shot to go with those receivers where they can some bust some plays off. The linebackers have been hurt, um, so there's a lot to you know. This is a, a, a this is kind of what we talked about with Emily. This team had a lot more going for it in September when it was healthy, and you could say that about everybody, obviously. But this wasn't a team that, that you know is built to 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 make a long run in November um, just because they're they're missing some key guys at key spots. Um, the, the the running backs there, uh, Falamatu. Uh, I messed that one up. Uh, Falumatu and Fleet Davis, um, the two main guys right now. Penny Boone um, probably going to probably going to play a game time decision, and then Isaiah Jacobs is out. So we'll see what happens with that run game. But Penn State, if they can come out with like they did last week on the defensive line and sort of try and control things, you're going to have a little bit more luck doing that against Maryland than Ohio State. So you've got an opportunity to sort of control things from the front and let it filter back to the back, and maybe you get a turnover or something out of that. Jarrett has become such a vocal point because of how the personnel has panned out with injuries uh, for this offense. And um, that that's one that I can't wait to watch. Uh, much like last week, you don't have as, uh, the, the arsenal by any means of what Ohio State brought to the table. But I said this a couple of times coming out of the Buckeyes game. 
I just really like the way that defensive backfield, the cornerbacks answered the bell, answered that challenge. Yes, they gave up plays. They didn't make every play. They didn't make a perfect game. They played well enough, though, uh, to, to, to put their team in a position to win in Ohio State on a night where that offense did get theirs a little bit. So I think that's a, a good kind of test, I, I should say. Uh, not Maybe not a test, but it's a good matchup to face directly before you go down to play Maryland because I think you're – Going into this matchup, if you can establish some pressure on Tango Vailoa, it's going to change everything to me. And, and and I look at a Maryland native here, Arnold Ebicati. He has, even while Penn State has struggled, quietly in some ways put together a season that's going to place him in contention to be a first-team All-Big Ten kind of performer here in his first year of the Power 5 football level. And then what could that do for him moving forward in the NFL? It could do a lot. But I think this is a game where he could really flex his muscles. Uh, I, I do think there's attached meaning to this matchup for a few of the guys in the roster because of their history down there, because of their past recruitment, because of maybe the things that they heard when they decided to leave home and not be part of that brick-by-brick brick process that Maryland wants to do down there. And I think Ebikade in this matchup, two, two and a half, maybe even three sacks, that kind of performance to me. And, and that's really going to dictate where I land with this one. But he is the guy I'm circling for Penn State's defense, along with Daquan Hardy in that slot that I think can really break Maryland and put Penn State in the spot where maybe they can get some, some comfort as this game gets late in the game. A bunch of Maryland guys on the defense. You mentioned Ebikiti, but uh, Derek Tangelo is a Maryland guy. Devon Ellis, there's been a lot of talk with him this week. We got him this week because I is heard Curtis Jacobs and Tariq Castro Fields as well. So you've got an opportunity for those guys to make some plays. I think Curtis Jacobs is going to be uh, a very, very big part of what Penn State's trying to do. You mentioned playing Hardy in the slot, but they've played they've rolled with quite a bit with Jacobs out there because um, he's athletic enough to cover go those guys. So I wouldn't be shocked if he were one of those guys to get his hands on the football this weekend as well. And that's big. You didn't come up with the turnovers that, that you were hoping for on the road at Ohio state. You, you fell in the turnover battle. This one feels like the turnover battle is everything every week. Uh, but with these two quarterbacks and, and kind of the moments that we've seen from each of them, not so much for Clifford this year, but a couple times in, in recent weeks where there's been errant throws, um, it can really bite you here. I, I think it's going to be a close matchup, Sean. Um, I don't know where you land on your prediction quite yet, um, but I, I agree with Penn State being favored. Uh, coming in with a three-game losing streak, you got to look at everything in context. How are they coming out of that? I think I think they're going to go out, and I think they're going to play motivated, inspired football. Um, I, I, if I'm wrong, then I have the wrong read on this team, and, and we probably have had the wrong read on this team coming out of some of these matchups this year. I'm going to go 30-24, to 24, though, Penn State. Uh, again, uh, the big storyline here will be getting it done through the passing game. I think Jahan Dotson snaps that three-game drought of reaching the end zone as a receiver. And I think Sean Clifford is going to flirt with 400 passing yards. I'm not banking on the ground game to put this one away or to, to help create some separation. And I also think that Maryland will produce some explosive plays, but ultimately uh, the defense forces a, a late turnover or two, uh, comes up with an interception off Tongo Vailoa. They win 30-24. to 24 get to come home at, at six and three and, and see what they can do with this final three game stretch. I have Penn state winning as well. I, I have it a little bit different. I just look at the stretch that Maryland's on and the health of the, the, the status of their defense, especially from a health perspective. And it's going to be tough to keep Penn state from scoring some points. Now Penn state scoring some points. Sometimes that means uh, 50 points for Penn state this year. You're, you're looking at more like 30. Um, I have Penn state winning 33, 18. Um, and I know that, that, as you mentioned, the potential for last year to happen, the way that it happened, probably not, but the potential is still there. I mean, Maryland's got some talented guys um, and you've got a veteran quarterback out there. Um, I do think that Penn state uh, that, that James Franklin, remembered last year you remember 
everything you heard after that win last year, which there's a lot of talking after that win last year, and rightfully so. Maryland, you know, beat them up and down the field. Um, but on the recruiting trail, things like that, there's a lot of talking. And, and I'm sure that he would love to, he'd love to give them a 59 nothing again. I don't see, I don't really see that one uh, coming to, to fruition. But I have Penn State winning 33 18. Um, I think they can hit some big plays. I think John Dotson has an opportunity to have a really big game. Um, and, and again, you get to the things that, that made you successful last week. That's Theo Johnson and Parker Washington across the middle. Again, with you, I, I have abandoned the run game as well. So we'll see how much damage they can do through the air. And, and I think they're going to see a lot of a, a lot of passes from both sides on Saturday. And that's all well and good. But then Clifford's taking shots. And, and we'll see again. You hold and, and you just kind of say, well, what's he look like coming up from each hit? Because we know how quickly that gets dicey. I'm not taking anything for granted. I don't know where Clifford is, but he did take some hits in that Ohio State matchup. If you got to, if you're going to abandon the run like we're suggesting is going to happen, then on the other end of that, you've got to protect Sean Clifford. And uh, right now, that's certainly not anything that's guaranteed with the way Penn State is playing. So that's it's still hanging in the air, or I guess probably a better way to put it is hanging below their feet and 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 kind of leaving them ready for a free fall potential. Sean. Picking a win, six and three will be a nice, uh, nice step in the right direction for us on the podcast in terms of changing our discourse. But we've got some uh, some uh, stuff coming up here Saturday, post game coverage, uh, Maryland, Penn State, probably wrapping up around seven o'clock. We get through our post game stuff. I don't know when we're going to get there. Uh, maybe one a.m. No, I, I think I think we'll be there a lot earlier in the process. But we'll talk to them on Saturday, right, Sean? Yeah, I hope so. Hope so. And and hopefully we get this uh, thing spun on its head and, and, you know, get going in the right direction. I know we've lost some listeners over the past couple of weeks. Obviously nothing that we've done as, as our listeners have told us, they just can't stomach to listen to it on a three game losing streak. And I'll be honest with you. Yeah. It's tough to blame you on that one. Absolutely. Well, thanks again to Emily for joining us and giving us a lowdown on Maryland. Thanks to Lance Glenn for lining that one up as our producer. We're back Saturday with our post-game podcast following the conclusion of this outcome. And we are with you all the time on the site, lines247.com, where you can check out the entire J1 Sider conversation about his running backs. That's up there right now. Recruiting coverage, of, of course, up there as well. For Sean, Lance, I'm Tyler. This is the Lions 24-7 podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend, or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.